There's got to be a way of killing it. How? How do we do it? You can't. It's bullshit. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Frankenstein's Podcast, where it's all about the monster. We are a creature feature podcast about monsters and why we love them. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Praska, and with me is... Your other host, Khalid Hussain! Hi, Khalid! Hey, Joe! I I almost dramatically paused. I kind of dramatically paused before I said with me, because there's something really special about today. What? Please, enlighten it's a, me. It's a Franken-first, if you will. I won't. <laughs> 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 Listeners, Khalid and I are in the same room. Folks. We are. Yeah. They said it couldn't be done. West Coast meets Midwest. We done did it, y'all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Khalid, you're in town. I'm in town and I am more than in town. I am in your living room trying <laughs> not to wake up your beautiful children. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, this is exciting. Um, it's a real test of our will because I feel like despite being friends all these years, uh, we've never really done this where we talk like looking at each other. And I am so curious to see if that like adds to it or takes away from like our dynamic. Oh, you're in for a treat. <laughs> it's ominous. <laughs> Take it as you will. Yeah. Um, I, all right, Khalid, I'm going to move this along. I just clapped. That was probably loud for our listeners. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Uh, I'm excited, but we're going to be moving on. Cause, uh, as mentioned on our last episode, we are starting our very special series, which we've been calling Xenomania, where wow. we are going to cover each one of the films in the Alien franchise with some special guests and some fun ideas and some fun things we're going to do. But uh, I wanted to right away bring in our guest to kick off this series. Joining us today is Philippa, uh, a.k.a. Pip Ballantyne who is an award-winning speculative fiction author. She's known for the Books of the Order series, the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novels, and the Shifted World series, and more. She's also the author of the recent novel set in the Alien Predator universe called Alien Inferno's Fall. Welcome, Pip. Welcome. Pleased to be here. Glad I don't have to share a mic with you guys, because that's, that's a <laughs> it tough call. It is chaos. It's chaotic. <laughs> it's going great. It's going great. I think you've got to be a special kind of friend to share a mic with because uh, my husband and I um, both have podcasts and we keep it separate mics, you know, even <laughs> maybe smart, situation. maybe smart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this, this might be the straw that breaks the camel's bag. Xenomania might go a lot shorter than everyone thought. <laughs> <laughs> it might. Who knows? Who knows? If it breaks into a scuffle, well, that's all great content. Honestly, yeah, exactly. If it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being here, Pip. We appreciate you joining us. Oh, no problem at all. I, I love talking about, you know, one of my favorite franchises in the world and, you know, the monsters that made them. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so pumped to dig into this one. I got uh, a few guest que- new guest questions for you that we ask all our guests on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So... Out of all corners of pop culture, this could be a movie, book, TV show, anything. What would you consider your favorite monster or creature? And if it's not the same, what would you consider to be the scariest? Well, my favorite creature, I think I have a, I think I have a creature and then I have a scariest creature. Um, my favorite creature has to be the Mon Calamari from uh, Star Wars. 
wow. I don't know. I don't know why. There's something about the eyes and the little tendrils and his little flippers. I just remember going and, and seeing. Um, I saw all the Star Wars movies with my dad, and uh, I would remember seeing that one. And I was just like, I I had a thing fish back then. Um, I, <laughs> I actually belonged to a tropical fish club, you know, because wow. I was such a such a cool kid back then. Uh, and as soon as I saw the Mon Calamari, I just, I just loved them. And then of course they became the, it's a trap meme. And that just, <laughs> that just, um, and the fact that that it was literally named after the, uh, the creator's lunch that he had, um, apparently, uh, just makes them just adorable to me. Um, I love that answer. <laughs> so that's Admiral Akbar's species. Right? Admiral Akbar's yeah. species, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. They, they're just adorable. I, <laughs> I just, you know, the whole um, saying a fish out of water, I think, really applies to them. And, you know, sometimes as geeks, that's, you know, when I was growing up, that's sometimes how you felt. So maybe it was like a connection on a like a molecular level i i am <laughs> it, it spoke to your inner fish person I did my inner fish person <laughs> <laughs> i like that i love that a lot I, I i don't think we've gotten a fish person well there you go <laughs> yeah i don't think so either yeah oh, yeah plays a new ground here I yeah love it. it does, it does. You know. <laughs> a lot of firsts today <laughs> <laughs> now my scariest obviously is going to be the alien queen Yes. When I saw that, I mean, I remember watching that for the first time and going, that's a puppet? How? <laughs> how is that a puppet? Um, because I was already scared of the um, of the xenomorph, but then when you made it an intelligent mother, <laughs> <laughs> that just ramped it up to, to another level. And I guess maybe on a molecular level, I also integrated with her thirst for vengeance and just, you know, <laughs> you mess with me it's gonna it's gonna go down uh i'm gonna learn about elevators like in an instant mm-hmm. chase after you um yeah and and also for something so large she's remarkably sneaky you know yeah the, the way she kind of tucked herself up under there it's impressive you know yeah no that's that's a good answer too that's yeah. that's, that's perfect that fits mm-hmm. right in um Next question for you. What would you consider to be like on your geek card? What do you find yourself most geeky about? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) The whole list, right? I'm a sort of a broad spectrum uh, geek. I would say that uh, my OG geek fandom areas were uh, D&D. All right. uh, Science fiction reading. My dad is a huge uh, science fiction reader, and so I was – I was reading Andrea Norton mm. and um, and McCaffrey and all of that like really early on, and uh, Doctor Who. Those are my Ooh. probably my cornerstones. I do literally remember hiding behind a couch watching Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> there was one episode. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. It was called The Ark in Space, and it was in the Tom Baker years. And he comes onto like a space station, and it's empty. And he's going around trying to figure out why the space station should be. Pe- it's it's got frozen people. It's an, it's an ark, but there's no actual people running it. And so he, <laughs> I remember just about, I just about dropped dead at about eight years old watching this. He opens a closet and a giant ass um, eight foot cockroach creature <clears throat> and it falls out dead on top of him. 
And it turned out that this, this uh, I think they were called the Wern or the Werv, they had a lot of Y's and V's in it, um, <laughs> were basically using these frozen popsicle people as uh, incubators for its eggs, which Ooh. is terrifying when you think yeah. about it. Of course, the special effects back in the 80s uh, with Doctor <laughs> Who were not that great. I realize now that one of the monsters that I was terrified of, it looked like a worm. But it was actually a person painted green, wrapped in this new stuff they had called bubble wrap. And <laughs> it was wriggling across the stage. And apparently they couldn't record the sound on because all you would hear was popping as the guy wriggled across. <laughs> That's so funny that one of the first like popular uses of bubble wrap was like <laughs> a dude just like wriggling on the ground. I mean, I think I think Doctor Who really groundbreaking as far as you know like looking around like a grocery store and thinking what can i well there's a couple of salt mm-hmm. shakers let's make let's make an alien series we'll call them the daleks they look like, <laughs> they're literally salt and pepper shakers um so yeah uh those are my those are my original triad of uh of geekdom but uh became more obsessed with um star wars and star trek equally because i don't want to you know start any fights between people but i i loved both of those um big into into movies and that sort of that's movies and writing are sort of my media of choice awesome i think we uh we have a lot of overlapping fandoms for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds like it yeah oh yeah yeah joe is uh definitely geeked out about doctor who to me on uh, multiple <laughs> occasions oh yeah 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 for sure <laughs> Yeah, it's, I was I was there I was there during the dark years where there was no Doctor Who. We never oh. thought it would come back. Oh yeah, yeah very yeah. time in history. Right. <laughs> I've, I've only seen the like Eccleston years and on, mm-hmm. so so the older ones are definitely uh, <laughs> foreign to me. I may have uh, seen I may have seen like a, a passing episode here and there in college, but that's it. Uh, well, I, I recommend uh, Tom Baker. He's he's my my Doctor. That yeah, I grew up with who had a ridiculously long scarf because one of the um, uh, props <coughs> costuming ladies didn't know when to stop <laughs> making a giant scarf. That's just the kind of fun thing of like a behind the scenes informing the lore. <laughs> yeah. Because I know, I only know Tom Baker as the scarf one. Yes. You know, it's it's iconic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I you know and I, in Star Wars I also remember like whatever I must have been about seven or six or something when it came out. I still remember seeing the skeletons of um, his aunt and uncle and diving under the chair. So <laughs> I've enjoyed being frightened by science fiction for quite a long time. Yeah, that's a horrifying sequence. When you think yes, about it. yes. <laughs> right? It's dark. Oh, yeah. It's dark. Yeah, yeah, my dad was like, get out of here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Pip, I want to ask you a bit about your uh, contribution to the, the alien universe. Mm-hmm. So... It just came out last year, I believe, Inferno's Fall, right? Yes, yes, it did. Yes. So just uh, just for the listeners, could you just tell us like a brief like synopsis of what Inferno's Fall is about? Well, it's uh, set on a mining planet within the UPP, and it's got a, you know, Aliens has always been about the uh, the strata, different strata of, of, of social structure, right? So in Alien, you always have the, the, the blue-collar people, right? So it continues that with having a group of miners who are on a uh, UPP planet and they unfortunately um, come under bombardment by a horseshoe-shaped mysterious-looking ship appears in the sky and an unfortunate rain of 
mysterious black stuff starts falling out the bottom of this ship and uh hilarity and hijinks ensue for them Um, (laughs) and then the other half of the story is of course uh zula hendrix who is of course if you um dive into the the graphic novel side of uh alien the alien franchise she's very beloved and it was great to write about her and also um an android character uh, I've always felt a bit bad for the poor. I mean, when you think about it, most of the bad guys in in the Aliens movies have been androids, except for Bishop. Bishop mm. was a good guy. Bit of a shame how he ended up at the end of that movie. <laughs> but uh, so I wanted to write, you know, um, a sympathetic uh, android character. And uh, I'm not going to make any spoilers because I've talked too much about how she tends <laughs> to be. Um, but yeah, so Zula Hendrix has uh, formed herself uh, with the help of some higher up in the in the military, uh, a unit of uh, soldiers whose specific job is to go around and deal with the xenomorph threat called the jackals. Um, love me some Anubis, so that's what I was <laughs> thinking of in that respect. And uh, they turn up to uh, join the party on this. Uh, UPP planet and uh, yeah, have a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I had had a lot of fun writing it. That's for sure. One of the cool things I liked about, I like about your book is I mean, I haven't read a whole lot of tie-in novels to Alien Universe, but it's cool that it kind of incorporates like the different kinds of creatures that we've encountered throughout the franchise, like the engineers, the horseshoe shape and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, The different kinds of xenomorphs. And uh, I think you had like the thrashers or something in there were kind of cool. Yeah, because the the pathogen affects the whole planet basically in this one. So I had a lot of fun like thinking about what the um, fauna was on this planet and how that would look when the pathogen got hold of them. Uh, some of them, because I'm originally from New Zealand, so I, I based some of the big birds and things hmm. on, on New Zealand uh, animals. And, uh, yeah, and then some of the smaller ones, which were exciting and horrifying to write yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of stuff I feel like we love, like doing a monster podcast and being into monsters. Like, what other, like, creatures can be xenomorphed? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Turns out anything. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't really hear about like the new zealand wildlife i feel like in that corner of the world australia really gets like oh. all of the all the hype with uh the could be sci-fi monster type animals. <laughs> oh yeah i've been there it's, it's, it's like that yeah you're not far wrong there my mother and i once we were visiting there and she went to sleep on a uh, on a couch in the hotel we were staying at and the sliding door was open and when my dad and I came back from shopping she was huddled in a corner and there was a giant uh, goanna lizard that had wandered in (laughs) from the the garden and she was like "Ah." (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah I did I mean Australia seems like an easy version to make into a (laughs) to a xenomorphic paradise (laughs) Uh, but New Zealand has some I mean uh not so long ago they're all extinct now as far as we know um giant eagles uh you know Mm. the there were actually humans arrived in New Zealand and there are legends of these giant eagles snatching up uh children which actually turns out 
probably based in reality. Wow. Um, there were also, of course, the moa, which was the largest um, bird that you've ever, mm. uh, land bird. Um, would have put KFC, you know, they would have really liked to get their hands on some of those. Uh, <laughs> giant, like, six-foot drumsticks. <laughs> sure, yeah. Original recipe, the extra original crispy. Recipe. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they, they, were, they were so tasty that we ate them all. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I decided to put a, a little bit of that in there. There's also um, quite a bit of a bit of the family dynamics of how New Zealand is. Um, since I've been living in America for a while, it's I notice it's generally very nuclear family. You know, husband, wife, and kids. Um, yeah. In New Zealand, it's it's a bit of a wider concept: cousins, aunties, all of that sort of thing. Uh, is sort of wrapped up in a term uh, whanau, which is your wide, wider community. Um, so I worked a bit of that in there as well as um, as far as the protagonists on the ground at the time. So, you know, and it's always, I always love writing characters that people love and then killing them. It's, it's been my <laughs> modus operandi for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> the Alien franchise just seemed to encourage that even more it does <laughs> yeah mm. um i so you mentioned uh zula hendrix and so you have some characters who've been in previous like uh eu works and stuff and then one of the things i was reading about with this book is it kind of had to follow uh, like canon and storylines that have kind of come through different novels and sort of like a shared universe mm-hmm. sense like not just the movies but also like the novel verse so like what's the process do you have like collaborating with other authors and is there like like um oversight from like the studio in writing writing the tie-in novels what's that like well in this uh in this case i was very lucky to be paired up with clara kajar i can never say her name right (laughs) her last name (laughs) she is an australian like um law keeper who's been involved in a lot of different projects cool um the role-playing game video games all that sort of thing she's had a lot of fingers and a lot of different alien pies and so she was I felt like I was writing with a safety net because she was always there to tell me you know I'm like what happens you know how do how do they ships how do they fight if they're all inside little beds you know and so we we had to figure all of that sort of those sort of things she just knew every crazy detail and so she'd been involved also with a lot of books from Titan so when we were talking about who we can bring in and it made sense to bring them in, not just, you know, make a little cameo and make everybody, everybody fans happy. We like to make mm-hmm. fans happy, but it needs to be like, make sense within the context of the book. So we brought in some um, of Zula Hendrix's people that she's been, when she was tootling around the galaxy, she made friends with, with some people and they ended up in the book as well. Um, working for her within the jackals um, we touched um, we touched on a lot of different stuff that but it, but allowed enough room to for me to write a story that was interesting to me as well now I mean whenever you this is my first um, time in somebody else's sandbox um, and I was a little bit nervous about it but <clears throat> with Clara sort of help keeping me on the straight and narrow and we and we wrote a whole uh, before we before I started writing a word, we did a whole twelve page document of this is what's going to happen in the story, and then you send that off to get approval from the publisher and then the IP holder, um, 
and then you get that back and they say yes or no. And they were actually remarkably good about some of the things that I put in there. <laughs> that I, there were some things that I got away with. I was like, I would have thought that wouldn't have made it. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm, uh, there's a bit in the book uh, about the dropship's nose art. And hmm. there's a, uh, one of the ships is called, uh, one, one of them's called the Exterminator, and it's got a guy with, big guy with sunglasses on the, <laughs> on the, on the nose yeah. art. And the other one had a strange looking, uh, sort of a puppet looking guy going bork, 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 and whipping up some eggs in a bowl. Hmm. <laughs> as, as my husband said he said did you just make the Muppets part of <laughs> alien, alien law I was like yeah I guess, that, I guess that means canon wise that their Muppets exist um, wow see I thought about but I didn't say that I just described it but they, they were like oh they didn't even say anything about it I was like okay that's cool um, wow so, the, yeah, so then you write it, of course, which takes a little bit of time, and then you send it off to uh, the publisher and then they put it on, after they've looked it over, they put it on back to um, uh, the bigwigs, the IP, the law, the law masters to make sure everything is correct and, you know, within canon and doesn't step on any toes because there's more alien projects coming out than just books. So there were some things that I was told, you yeah, can't really do that. And there were other things where they're like, you can kind of dance around that one. Um, we've always had the, the engineers is you've always got to, uh, there's limits to how much you can write about the engineers because they haven't really been, you know, th there's a lot of questions about them. Like when the pathogen drop happens, are those engineers that get hit by the pathogen? I don't know. <laughs> mm. Good question. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So, um, yeah, but actually, um, my my nerves and fears about working with somebody else's um, intellectual property were they, they, my fears were not realized, which was really nice. And uh, apparently, <clears throat> some of the higher up execs liked the story quite a bit. So, I was that's awesome. I, w I was quite happy with that, yeah. Oh, so you may be back in the future. I may be, she said, wink, wink. Mm -hmm. Suspenseful. Wink, wink. Oh. <laughs> That's really cool, though, that you can like be such a, like, you start out as such a fan of this obviously oh. huge franchise that is, like, world-changing in terms of what it did for sci-fi. Um, and and now you're you're a part of it. You know, like you're, and when they talk about the history, the legacy of it, that's you're in there. I am. Well, the funny thing was that uh, when I got the phone call about it, I was uh, it was Sunday morning and I was quite half asleep. And I was like, what? Ailey? And I was like, am I doing this? <laughs> am I asleep right now? I don't know. The, the funny thing was that um, I, when I was at college, I did a lot of role playing and my role playing group. We would often, after role-playing, uh, get uh, fish and chips, which is the New Zealand equivalent of McDonald's, I guess. And we would <laughs> often, very often, watch uh, Aliens. And we knew it enough so that we were all doing the voices and, you know, you know. <laughs> short <laughs> words. It, was, it was like one of those ones, like when they do Grease and everybody says the words and does, you know. You yeah, know, the, like the, the Rocky Horror watch-along yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
And I was like, I I think that my favorite um, rom-com was uh, Hicks and, and Ripley. Like when he's handing her his gun, I'm like, damn, that's how you romance a woman. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let me show you my grenade launcher. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and of course, the the alien has a cat in it, and I'm a huge cat person. So, yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're a couple cat daddies ourselves, so uh, uh, you're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I have a I have a ginger cat that screams at me and judges me. That's, that's what ginger <laughs> cats do, apparently. We so, got one right I'm, here staring at us too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For a long time, I did. I did nurture the thought that perhaps the alien and the cat were an alliance, and uh, the cat was just surprised. Of, the cat was Jonesy was sick of being picked up, and uh, this was his way of cutting down the amount of uh, unwanted scratches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Jonesy. Jonesy had a had his own objectives. He did. Well, you, when you think about it, the alien actually looks down when he's in the box. He doesn't kill him. He's he does. Like, we're yeah. To- he's, he's, we're in this together, mate. And he's like, yeah. I think yeah. apex <laughs> predators have a nice respect for each other. They give each other the the wide berth necessary to yeah. take care of their own kingdoms. Have you have you seen the little book that came out? It was called Jonesy's Day Out, and it's like <laughs> alien, and, <laughs> alien and Jonesy just hanging out together. It's oh, it's adorable. It's a little picture. Of, I mentioned this while we're watching yeah. it. There's a little picture it's, book. Yeah. Yeah. That's adorable. There, I need to there's get also it. A, there's also an alien cookbook if you uh, Ooh. <laughs> if you want to do a chess person. <laughs> well, uh, you know, a lot of sculpted bread that looks like you know erupting out of something. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do that next Thanksgiving. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. It could be pretty fun. Chase it, it with be. some unpasteurized android milk. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. All right, we should probably dig into it. I guess that's a good oh, that's yeah. a good segue as any uh, Android milk. Um, Khalid, <laughs> um, for those who may not know exactly what we're talking about with all the context that we've given them, what are we talking about today, Khalid? Thank you for asking, Joe. Today we are talking about the 1979 sci-fi horror film Alien, directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon. And I have a nice little synopsis from our homeboy Google. It goes a little something like this. In deep space, the crew of the commercial starship Nostromo is awakened from their cryosleep capsules halfway through their journey home to investigate a distress call from an alien vessel. The terror begins when the crew encounters a nest of eggs inside the alien ship. An organism from inside an egg leaps out and attaches itself to one of the crew, causing him to fall into a coma. That's it. What a monster. They're creatures of the abstract that live off potential energy. It's alive! So I feel like we gotta, I gotta clear this out first before, before we uh, dig into some thoughts. Um, my question on my notes here was like asking our group here what our like history is with this movie. But Khalid, I want, I want you to start with that. <laughs> What's your history with Alien? Um. <laughs> to to the annoyance of many of friends uh i have never seen any of the original aliens movies i have for some reason only seen the two prometheus movies uh really? and and in, exactly yeah that's yep. the reaction i always get and, <laughs> and i watched alien versus predator 
All right. That's that's that was up until now. I just had not bothered to. I think it was that it was a uh, notoriously scary mm. as a kid. Um, like anybody who talked about it, talked about it being super scary. I had a friend in middle school who, uh, was a really big HR Geiger fan. And so like, obviously uh-huh. also an alien fan and he was kind of scary. So I might've like, subcon- <laughs> I might've subconsciously associated it. Yeah. So I was just like, no, I don't want to be scary. So I won't watch it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, no, I, the, the, the streak has been broken. I can no longer say I haven't seen an alien movie cause I've, I've seen the original. There we go. Yeah. Right. So what were your, what were your initial thoughts then of the movie? I really, really liked it. Um, I think that it is a very, um, it's a very thoughtfully directed movie. Um, the writing uh, supports that thoughtfulness. And um, I'm just, I'm a really big fan of in sci-fi movies when they do the whole like blue collar aesthetic, even mm. when it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like this, this movie is ostensibly about seven astronauts, but like some of them like, talk like they're just like mine workers or something like that. Like I think during the movie we were even talking about how like Yafet Koto and Henry Dean Stanton, like they act like they're shoveling coal on the Titanic. And it's like, well, they had to be like engineers, right? Like they had to have like extensive, <laughs> like they're academics, <laughs> but like they're they're but it's blue collar and it just works. And I think it's one of those things of like, you have to, you, there's an element of disbelief or a suspension of disbelief that you put into it that um once you do that you just go all in on yeah they're just blue collar space guys and it works and um i think that it did a good job of that first like 30 to 45 minutes when the alien really isn't uh and or the xenomorph specifically isn't a factor as much when it is just about the interpersonal conflicts and stuff like that making it about uh yafet koto like arguing about why they're getting less shares and stuff like that it's it's a nice real thing that like workplaces regularly deal with and you and you you start asking yourself why one person makes more than the other especially on a project where it sounds like every one of them is equally important to getting a mission done you know arguably the, the captain should have made the least because uh you were you're asleep for like 90% of this trip man like the ship the ship is the captain you're just the guy that like comes in when autopilot can't like land it or something so so i thought that that was a really fascinating and smart move especially for like you know th- this is before they knew a franchise was going to happen all, all, all intents and purposes this was just a one off movie when they made it and so couching it in something like that which like is so universal like for as long as there have been jobs there have been people that go why does he make more than me and that was like such a nice human thing to like put at the center of this story before it like goes into the the superhuman um outside of that uh, I, I really loved all the characters. Ripley did not disappoint. She's been, uh, Sigourney Weaver's career was like minted off of this character and rightfully so. And yeah, like they all just bounce off each other really well. I really loved Ian Holm as the Android Ash, which uh, as Joe will probably tell you as we get into it, like I was instantly wary of him and like just i kept side-eyeing everything he did because it was making me so mad and the payoff to discovering he was an android really really was like gratifying for me i wasn't just suspicious of him i was it was i was, he was right. suspicious of bilbar what 
why shouldn't I have it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> at yeah. one point, I love this one. We actually watched the movie together, but at one point, Khalid was just like, is he working with the alien? Like, just ex- ex- exclaimed it. No, I specifically said, is he working for the alien? For the alien. That was, because- okay, fair. <laughs> is he working for the alien? It just, it, like, he just had no survival instincts. And, like, that's, that's if you've listened to the episode, or the podcast before, like, that is the one thing that will always get to me, is, like, when someone is, like, I don't, there is not enough money on the table for you to just ignore survival instincts. So when they do, I go crazy. And, like, this movie had a perfect explanation it works. It. Yeah, it works. This, yeah, he's an android. What a survival to have! <laughs> like he's he's just weirdly turned on by the xenomorph. So <laughs> so it worked. It worked for me. Um, I'll save my th- my other thoughts, but those are my initial thoughts. Uh, Joe, what about you? I love that, Khalid. Um, I, I want. Yeah, I think. Um, whereas other friends of yours might be annoyed by you, I saw an opportunity. It was fun. <laughs> So, um, no, I've, I, of course, I think that both Pip and I, like, we've seen this movie, if I'm assuming correct, you've seen this many times, right? I couldn't count how many. Yeah. <laughs> what if it was just like one and done? Yeah, no. She's like, I get well, it. Yeah. <laughs> Same. I think, I mean, I've, this movie is just like, for me, it's when I was a kid, I remember renting this from the video store. Like my dad, like was kind of taking me through it. This was around the time Alien Resurrection was first coming out. And I think I'd saw the trailer for it. So like, I mean, I probably was too young to be watching it. I don't know. I don't know how it was exactly, but I remember renting them each week, like the, the movies and just like, I think at the time I was much bigger fan of aliens. Cause as a kid, I like, Oh, the action was cooler. But mm-hmm. like now I look back and I'm like, I'm really appreciate alien in like a different, like different way, a different, like, like context of like what it's doing, like the slow burn elements that I think as a kid kind of bored me, like are so much more exciting to me now, just from like a production design standpoint or like a standpoint of like thinking what they're able to do with so little like miniatures or like props or like even like stuff that they like just designing and just everything like that. All these little intricate details that the, the, the creators obviously paid so much attention to. It's so fascinating. Just watch like what they're able to accomplish and just like, it's so simple in some sense. And I think that's what makes it so brilliant. Um, but there's also just so much there to like unpack at the same time. So it's really hard to achieve that kind of a balanced thing. So just in a general sense, that's my thought. Of course, I love it. It's like woven into my DNA as a monster lover. It's something I've like always loved since I was super young. And I've, I've always like resonated with this franchise. But uh, um, Pip, how about you? What did you think of this movie specifically in the franchise? Uh, I never get tired of it. Um, when I was writing uh, Inferno's Fall, I just had this one and Aliens just on constant in the background playing. Uh, it's I was watching it again and I still jumped at certain points and I'm like, how is that possible? Um, I love, you know, the, uh, the, the whole thing about the blue collar workers. I think they were described as truck drivers in space and you really yeah. feel like that the, the environment that they're inhabiting is very lived in. It's got, you know, all the sort of dangly junk that, you know, you would expect long haul truckers to have and um the whole you know the, the the pillars of the aliens franchise even though they didn't know it was going to be a franchise were set up there you had you know the blue collar workers you have the company hates you and and you're just a cog um <laughs> you have a strong female character that unfortunately was not replicated for i don't know decades later uh ripley basically stood alone uh, up until Terminator 2 when uh, Linda Hamilton got on board. But she mm-hmm. she was always a um, just a, an icon to me. And also the fact that um, 
there was apparently the casting of it was um, just these are the characters we have. Men and women can slot into whichever role there is. There, it's it's whoever walks in the door. And Ripley was supposed to be a man originally. I, I that's the rumor. Um, and the 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 fact that they it's a slow burn means that you get those characters you love them you get to see their idiosyncrasies how they work together the friction that's between them by the time the alien turns up you're super invested in them and when they start dying it hurts and that's entirely what I (laughs) took from my for my novel was that you know let's make them all fully realized characters and then horrifically murder them (laughs) (laughs) uh you're right though i was very very mad when uh yafit koto's character died i he made a while though he made it a while while, but like i said it i said it that night and i'll say it again like lambert was a goner okay like i just from jump like they she kept just like standing still and crying about things in a way that just felt very (laughs) much like you don't want to survive this it's not even a matter of can you (laughs) <laughs> um so like Yafet just like like to his dying breath trying to get her to move felt like <laughs> such a just like you you seemed like such a savvy like in it for myself kind of guy up until it killed you and now and now i don't know what to think what did he say like yeah. can you make a flamethrower 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah the guy that can make a like can make not even one like six flamethrowers yeah, in 20 minutes is not going to sit around waiting for you to move when an alien is on its way to you but it kind of shows that he you know he was doing all this bluster about talking about shares and that but he actually cared about his crewmate enough to try and save her so then yeah. you love him even more yeah. you're like yeah he also seemed very invested in just killing the xenomorph mm-hmm. in a way that most of them weren't like everybody else was at the very least like, okay, we just need to get away from this thing or we need to like corner it and get it off the ship. And he was like, so mad at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, How dare you come in here? I was this close to getting a full share. How dare you? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Really? Just like you're messing with my money, man. Like that was his whole thing. Um, See, but no, I, Sorry, go on, Pip. No, no, no. I was just, I was just going to say that I, the other name I have for this movie is "People Don't Listen to the Woman and Everyone Dies," because yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote down three times when Ripley could have saved them all. There's the bit where she says, "Don't open the airlock. We got We we've got to follow the rules. If I let you in, we could all die." Tick. That happens. Um, yep. There's a bit where she says that they've damaged their ship landing on the planet. And she says, oh, hey, we to Dallas, oh, we can't lift off because we're blind on B and C deck. And she lists a couple of things. And he says, oh, we don't need that. We can fly without that. Being <laughs> blind on the deck later on kills Dallas because he can't see where the alien is. That's and right. then she also brings up to, um, uh, to Dallas, hey, Ash seems weird. And she starts kind of probing, like, <laughs> have you flown with him? Do you know? And he's like, oh, no, they just brought him on. And she's like, this guy is sus. I think we should vent him. That's that's definitely and, a- <laughs> and that's where that's why for me it's like Ash isn't the real villain of this. It's Tom Skerritt. Like I've really been <laughs> thinking about it the last couple of days. And that guy is such a just like toe the company line, like just rube in a way that like they were always gonna be doomed. But 
it's real to like who gets promoted up in the in in, in, in industries. You know what I mean? It's not the the independent thinker who is going to like come up with what's best at any given moment. It's the person that will tow that company line and will take directives easily and won't put up a fight. And mm-hmm. so like in that way, it's so frustratingly like realistic. You actually think about it. Maybe the company deliberately picked him because he was like that. And he oh, would be the yes, man, would yeah. go off there. Yeah. They've got algorithms on algorithms and they're like, well, we need a Ripley, but don't put her in any decision making like position. Because <laughs> no. you know? they want to control her. Mm, yeah. We need, a, we need one person that cries and is immobilized <laughs> from fear at all times, even though they're ostensibly like space pilgrims. Like everything is like paralyzingly scary, you know? Like you're, <laughs> you're a 10 month spaceship right away from home. Like everything is scary. So you, mm-hmm. you you would think that they would pick people that like have nerves of steel, but nope, you need a Lambert for whatever reason. Yeah, and actually when when you get into the Aliens movie, there's also some theory that perhaps they're picking the worst people there as well. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, yeah, I, maybe the yeah. company is just full of uh, bad people that it can manipulate. Exactly, because if it was a bunch of great people, then they would be the ones making the decisions. Yes. <laughs> So um, I've got a question for both of you guys that I, I've, I've thought about this a lot. So Alien, this film has won so many accolades over the years. Um, it was Academy Award winner for Best Special Effects the year it came out. Um, and also in 2002, it was deemed uh, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Library of Con- Congress, selected to preservation in the United States National Film Registry. It's also ranked by the American Film Institute as the seventh best film in the science fiction genre and as the 33rd greatest film of all time by Empire. So Ooh. there's something that this movie did that was iconic. And we all know it is iconic. We all know it's like it's, it's important in the pop culture zeitgeist. But I'm just kind of curious what you guys think. Why is this movie so resonant still? Um, I think that a part of it has to do with just like how successful, like the corresponding movies were that kind of retro retroactively uh, cemented its legacy. You know, I think it's just that it's such a solid foundation that you can go back to. Um, And also just to add a a nice little feather in the alien franchises cap, uh, there is a xenomorph statue at Houdini's mansion in Hollywood. I know because when I was a production assistant, uh, we shot a music video there and it's a huge sprawling like mansion area, you know, um, one of those things where like you get the real estate in the 1920s when it costs like pennies on the dollar. And now it's like, how did you get this much space? But uh, I had to keep walking past it. And it's not like, it's just like a, a xenomorph statue that's like there for everybody to like marvel at. It's embedded in a wall, like on the driveway. So like you just if you're not thinking about it, you'll just turn a corner and there's a xenomorph. Just like <laughs> so, um, so that was really cool. But yeah, I think it's I think a, I think a big part of it is the design. I think H.R. Geiger uh, takes mm. a lot of credit, especially with that first movie, um, because yeah, like there was never anything like it before that, and there was just it was just so fully realized. You know, you think about like what it does to Henry Dean Stanton, and like you you inherently understand as it's happening what's happening. I think it's John Hurt or John Hurt. Yes, I mean he kills oh, both. Yeah. <laughs> right, but like what what he does to him, the way he like the 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 face hugger and all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I think it's that like 
I I don't have enough experience in the sci-fi history to know what came before. But like, to my knowledge, this is like the first time that you really got like a beat by beat breakdown of like, oh, this thing is an apex predator in every way. It's an apex predator in that it has acid blood. It's an apex predator in that once it connects to your face, that's it. There's no way to get it off you without killing the body. So like from that point on multiplying and impregnating and then the chest bursting, like it's, it's, it never stops being a scary son of a bitch, you know? (laughs) So like, I think that's really for, for a lot of people, what like makes it just like a a cut above in terms of uh, a a creature and in terms of a franchise. Good answer. What do you think, Pip? I think it's multiple things. I think the setting of it, the the characters of it is very grounded and people can kind of see themselves in the characters of Nostromo, even though it's set in the future. They're like, I can see those people. I recognize those people. I probably know some people like that. Um, But then it's also the, um, the untamedness of the alien, the, inescapableness of it that you know like when when we're hunting in the savannah there was always a tiger in the brush right but these days we've got the tigers under control but what happens if there's a monster that's so relentless and um just damn terrifying that it gets that primal action going also you know if you're talking about uh giga or geiger um you can't really miss the fact that a lot of his imagery is deeply sexual and mm. there's a definitely, I mean, it's, it impregnates you. Um, and that's terrifying, you know, um, at least 50% of the world would never expect it to be pregnant, but there's poor old Ash having a very terrible pregnancy. <laughs> and it's that sort of vivid imagery, that sort of invasion of the human body that kind of, does make an impression on on everybody that sees it and that iconic scene with the with the chest burster coming out uh is so visceral and there's blood flying everywhere and screaming and confusion and uh yeah it it those sort of things combined to me make a real impression I do have to amend it. Now that you mentioned it, when the chestburster scene happens and the alien comes out, that's the one time it's not scary is when it's like just the little puppet legs and it, and it yeah. zips out of the room. I love that. That's, that's the what You got to put yourself in the seventies in that, <laughs> that situation. Just, there's no judgment. Like I had, there's, this is not a critique in any way. I, if anything, I wanted like a full, like little, uh, a scene lit or two of just the thing running around doing things until it like matures. <laughs> it was, um, it was that, actually, if you look at it, apart from the fact it just burst out of someone's chest, it's actually kind of cute looking. It's like a little, like, it's a baby. It's, it's baby bit. Yoda before yeah. baby Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, merchandising. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Full Jim Henson. <laughs> All right. I have some thoughts about this too. The So you guys both bring up some pretty good, great points. I think that um, I was kind of thinking about and doing a little bit of research into like the genre in a sense of like, so this, this movie really expertly blends sci-fi and horror. And mm. it's not very much the first science fiction horror movie by any means, but it feels like in just looking at kind of the history of like movies that have come out with that have been playing around in both those sandboxes, it's the first one to, to, 
I almost want to say the word prestige, use a prestige lens in a sense. Like we have so many movies that are like sci-fi horror that are in the fifties and the sixties. They're like seen as pulpy or campy or B movies. And this movie had zero camp to it. And the genre, it seems like with, with alien, the genre sort of transforms into something, um, something new, kind of like taking some well-known sci-fi imagery. I think you see things in this movie, like the opening sequence, like as mirrors, the star destroyer from the, the star Wars in the beginning, where it's like coming over, you see the prop ship coming over like that, like the way it's shot. And you see even like, there's a moment where I think Ash, the Ian Holmes character was like in a little like glass dome, like moving around. It reminds me of like the star Wars, like shooting in the millennium Falcon. They take that sci-fi imagery that you kind of recognize. I know it's only at this point, it's been like two years since star Wars, but then they blend it with like something more serious and like less campy, like tension building a horror, like, like Halloween, like Carpenter or like uh, Jaws. And they take, they take those two genres and bring them together in such a way that I think hadn't really been done in a really serious and respectable manner at that point. Um, and I think that just, it just was something special, like lightning in a bottle that was like, I feel like in a, even still, like so many films are trying to capture that feeling. And I think books as a place where it's done a lot better often but like, I'm trying to think of like, you know, great sci-fi horror. I mean, we, we, we interviewed the writer Pandorum. That's another one that I think hits it or like Event Horizon, some of those movies, but it's like- you <laughs> Just watched that last week. <laughs> really? I don't, yeah, yes. it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. <laughs> I definitely, now that, you, now that you say that, I definitely pick up a lot on like what like I liked about The Expanse. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it mm. very much feels lived in. You know what I mean? Like there is something about like those like broader ones, like your Star Treks or your uh, Star Wars- where um, the ships all just feel kind of like so advanced and so far along that um, you, you you take it for granted what it can and can't do. And obviously for story purposes at times, like something will malfunction, but it's like, it's very much like feels mm-hmm. like cosmetic as opposed to with this, where it's like, oh yeah, like there's like, th- this thing is like, it's, it's advanced. It's a very advanced ship. It has to be for what it's asked to do. But it's still just like a hunk of junk, you mm-hmm. know, like with that scene with the with the steam blowing <laughs> yeah. and Yafit and uh, is like is like teasing Sigourney's character with it. Like all of that just feels so real and just like a this this is basically like an El Camino in space in a lot of ways. And like that's so cool and so gritty. And so you really sink your teeth into it in a way that feels so um, so novel and fun. And like, I think that there's a reason people have pulled from that since, because it's so cool. I think a lot of people try to capture that blue collar aesthetic. Like you guys have been both touching on, like a lot of things since then have tried to really capture that. And I feel like not always the best, but some, I mean, that's, it's just pioneered that really. I think maybe it also, it also had, maybe it was early on the whole corporations don't really give a damn about you Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I feel like, um, like the fact that there's more alien projects that are that are coming out that are obviously going to go in that way. I think, you know, maybe it was looking ahead to some of the things that are happening now where, you know, people are realizing, hey, guess what? My loyalty to a company is not necessarily uh, reciprocated. And in fact, maybe I am just a cog in the machine. And uh, Wayland yutani is everybody's... Uh, favorite corporation that I feel like <laughs> right now might actually being uh you know getting ready for an ipo somewhere in our world they even they even do such a good job of like i don't know if like it was as big of a thing then but you know that whole idea of like oh yeah your work should be like your family 
you know that that old chestnut that they like pull mm-hmm. out where like it's just like a way to kind of like manipulate you into caring more about the people you work with as opposed to like that the real healthy line that most people draw of like this is work and that's my actual family but with this your actual like person that you have to like communicate with is called mother like yeah it's very telling. And I think, yeah, it's it's one of those things of like a truism of your boss doesn't give a shit about you is only going to get more and more evergreen as like you get further from when the movie came out. Yeah, they the, the fact that they call the, the AI of the ship, which uh, is called Mother, that feels very manipulative. Like, hey, we're just <laughs> taking care of you. We love you and care for you. Oh, uh, by the way, we'd like to uh, impregnate you with an alien uh, being. And bring that. You're right all expendable. Crew expendable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the crew is definitely expendable. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the the computers are hilarious to me now. I'm like, oh my gosh, remember when that was far, that was advanced, like in the 70s. <laughs> um, but it, and also it for me at least it doesn't age badly. Some things you watch, like if I watch, um, oh lord. Not that I would ever do it. Um, if I watched Green Lantern from the early 2000s. <laughs> Goodness. The, why would the, you? The, no. Um, the, green, <laughs> the, green, the green screen vomit that they put up there has aged worse than this movie, which is, you know, mm-hmm. much, much older. Um, just because, I don't know, I, I'm always one for, a mi- you know, right now I think the mix of practical effects and special effects, um, digital effects, is is the best way to go because yeah some of some of it looks a little creaky but it's you know when you see the alien like the fact that those were actual people in those suits contortionists that there was one in the original in alien and then there was a bunch of them in aliens that these these were very thin people in alien suits moving so organically um has kept the movie from you know, being something that you would have watched in the 70s and then never watched again. Even Event Horizon looks worse than this. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, there's just, you can't beat a guy in a suit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, And I, maybe that's just me not wanting the computers to win. But ultimately, like, when it comes, it's, it's performance is what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And you, there are people that, like, you get them in front of a computer, they can like put something together that will blow you blow your mind like uh obviously james cameron who will come up in the next uh episode uh is is a big uh example of that you know he can Mm. do the computer generated marvels but i think that at that point you're talking about somebody who cares enough to like make it not feel like a computer you know and yeah. you don't get you don't get that as often with a lot of these like bigger uh, franchise movies like Green Lantern, where it's it just feels impersonal and it feels like an afterthought when it should be the only thought. If you're going to make it all computer generated, then make it the best computer generated thing. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I'm, Agreed. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, new alien uh, production. I think there's a TV series and a movie that are being produced. And I hope that's what that I heard. Yeah. Be- I hope there will be people in suits. <laughs> I hope so too. They feel like they need to. I think the movies from the one of the guy, the guy who did the 2013 Evil Dead movie. Mm-hmm. That one, everybody loves that one. Yeah, that could be kind of a cool. I think he could bring some interesting stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to stick a pin on in uh, what I think Pip you brought up, like how how sexual this movie can be in a, <laughs> in a sense. Mm-hmm. I got a quote um, from Dan O'Bannon, the screenwriter, and he said um, the scene. 
or much of this is kind of like a metaphor for like male fear of like penetration or like oral invasion of uh, John Hurt's character by the face hugger. And he, he call, he says, quote, it's payback for the many horror films in which sexually vulnerable women are attacked by male <laughs> monsters. So like a lot of the, like the screenwriter talks about like sexual themes. I mean, Geiger's work is like just inherently sexual all time there. Um, a lot of, a lot of themes running through it, but I feel like that's a consistent one. Um, I don't really have a question necessarily following that up, but like, what, like, what's, I, I, what do you guys think about that? It's interesting. <laughs> I just, it's just were, interesting to bring up. Well, I was, I was watching uh, both movies with my husband the other day and I turned to him and I said, you know what? Suddenly if if men worry about what consent is, I should say, well, there's, non-consent maybe you'll understand it when a face hug has got its tail wrapped around your neck suddenly you you are confronted with that yeah yeah i mean i think i'm I'm in agreement like the the idea of like uh losing agency and being violated like that i i agree with his instinct to make it a man i think Mm -hmm. it would have been uh a little a little too on the nose and too awful if it had happened to a woman not that it wasn't any like it was, it was great that it happened to John Hurt. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. But I'm also a little like wary of like a guy patting himself on the back for like being like, I, cause I don't think that I've ever heard a woman just be like, oh yeah, like the problem with rape fantasies is that it happens to a woman. <laughs> like it's not like I wish it happened to a guy. So no, like I feel no. he's like, he's like 75% of the way to getting it. You know, yeah, <laughs> probably yeah. good for that era. Yeah, for that era, oh. very, very like inspired. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, for the late seventies, the fact that Ripley was the the headliner. You know, I mean, is she the last girl? The final girl? Yeah, she's the final she's, girl, she's, right? Yeah, but I wouldn't say she's a girl. I mean, she's a, she's the officer. Um, mm-hmm. and, oh, was she uh, not in a sorority? I, <laughs> I know. No. <laughs> she and Lambert weren't braiding each other's hair and talking about. Yeah, this wasn't a slumber yeah. party gone wrong. <laughs> it, that's, that's what it needed. It needed more pillow fights. What oh, didn't they think of it? My um, money's on Yafit. Yeah. He's like a foot taller than everyone else. <laughs> he's he's he, gravity's on his side with a pillow. I mean, I mean, I mean, the way he throws ash around. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which his strength levels were very inconsistent. Like I feel like he was just letting people kind of like toss him around for a bit of that. Because I feel like it, at least in the Prometheus movies, they make the androids seem pretty overpowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they are. There's the the android thread. I mean, you guys are gonna you're gonna watch all the movies. The the android yep. thread is quite an interesting one uh, as you follow it through. I. I just, I just, when you watch Aliens, I love Bishop. Ash is a, is not a nice, not a nice robot. No, Ash is not very nice. Bishop is great. But Ash is an early uh, android, I think. He's, Did you he's, notice? He's still got a few points. This is probably, Khalid, you won't know this because you haven't seen the other movies yet, but Pip, you may have noticed this. I don't know how much, well, how well known this is, but the idea that the androids in each movie, like the names are just going through the alphabet. Oh. Ash, Bishop, and then in Resurrection, it's Call, and then we got David, so A, B, C, D. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I've never I noticed that. that is. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll have to make a E. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> need an E one there. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to get to the rest Ernie. of the alphabet androids. I've, I've seen, is it David? Is David, the, yeah, it's Michael so, Fassbender. Yeah. I'm excited to get into that one Yep. for, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> a lot going on there. Yeah, but, uh, but 
I will say, wait, I wait till, wait till like, you see the flute playing, then you'll really no. Really I've seen the flute, the flute playing. The flute ones <laughs> trust yeah. me, like talk about sexual themes for the longest time. That was one of the only opinions I had on the franchise. <laughs> so. <laughs> You, you, uh, blow, but no. you, you blow and I'll do the fingering. I really wanted to find a way to put that in my book, but <sighs> it is, it's, it's art. It's art. It's high art. I don't know what to tell is. you. Like it it's, it's weird masturbatory flute playing and I love it. I love every second of it. <laughs> well, Cannot when, you think wait about to- it, when you think about it, Ash, when he tries to shove the, the rolled up magazine down her throat, yeah. there, oh, yeah. is, there, there is a little moment where he glances, she, she's sort of, kind of dazed on the uh, on the bunk and he glances mm-hmm. up and just for a second looks at the sort of uh pinup girls that whoever whoever's bunk it is has got there and a lot of people say well he's mimicking um human what he sees as the human this is what a human does huh. and so i'm gonna you know attack her this way but otherwise That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I asked I asked Clara and I had many discussions about what that heck that was. <laughs> <laughs> we we were uh, that was a head scratcher for me too. I remember asking about it when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, because I got to write about androids. I'm like, how human like are they actually being? But now, when you think about it, remember all these AI chatbots. Some of them have had to be yeah. taken offline because they've become racist and misogynistic and, and all of those yeah. things because they copy us. Uh, so maybe Alien was calling it, right, you know, decades ago. Yeah. Great point. I, I mean, I, I just, I'm a fan of Ash, at least Ian Holmes' performance. Like, I think he elicited exactly what he was supposed to with that performance. And he played it in such a way that was like, I think if he'd have done it today, they would have said that he was like coded as neurodivergent or something. But I don't mm. I don't think it was that. Like, I think there was like there was something more to it where it was just like beyond like a human uh, understanding of things. And the fact that he was the only one with that knowledge until mm. the reveal. Well, really helps. Clara and I were also talking about whether the fact that he was being told to override the bo- the basic programming because in this universe they have. Um, strictures about not being able to hurt humans and by mm. error of emission. you know that the the, the Philip uh, K. The, Dick thing. The, yes, yes, the, the, the laws, yeah, the of, laws robotics. of robotics. Yeah. So when the company tells him, "Hey, uh, do whatever you whatever it takes," including <laughs> offing any of the crew that get in your way, that that like creates some sort of problem in his uh, programming, and that's why he sort of flips out like that. It was, I mean, I, I've only seen it the one, so I didn't have as much time to like really Mm. like think about his breakdown, but that does make sense in retrospect because like, yeah, it's hard to play something that's supposed to be cold and unfeeling, but still like dealing with a conflict of some sort. Mm. And yeah, like Ian Holm just understood the character in a way that like made it like really stick in my mind and really mm-hmm. like stick with me. And I, I'm excited to see now, especially with all you've been saying about Bishop and the others, I'm excited to see how they evolve mm-hmm. that idea. Mm-hmm. I also noticed when I was watching it today, there is one trickle of white blood, Android blood that comes out. And I'm like, where is that coming from? Is that, has he got yeah. a split in his head? 
Well, yeah, because like she like shoves him or something before oh, she realizes. That's right. Yeah, but like so maybe I was surprised too because like I just saw the white and then it clicked to me like, oh, he's an android. Like up until then, and I again I'd seen Prometheus, so I know androids exist in this world, but it never mm. for a second as I was watching him like occurred to me. And then I saw like the white speckles, and I was like, oh, he's an android. Interesting. Makes mm. sense. Yeah. Mm. And when you look at him, he's actually dressed completely differently to the to the rest of the crew. Yeah, well, they did. They did such a good job tricking us with like uh, with Tom Scare talking about like, well, he's with the science or whatever. Like, he gets to decide all the stuff with that, and you just like immediately go, okay, so it's like a hierarchical thing, and you don't, yeah. you don't push it, and it's so cleverly done. Look, they it's didn't just science stuff. Okay, it's just he's a science. <laughs> Leave him alone. He knows what he's doing. He's a little bit weird, but we have to kind of let him do his thing. Let him do his science. And, and this like, is like. Mm. <laughs> this is like 45% Tom Skerritt's fault. I won't say it's all his fault, but I'm going to give him a good hefty he chunk. He deserves of it. a good portion yeah. of the blame. There. Like he's a bit, I mean, he seems like a nice guy, but he just seems a little too relaxed. Like, I feel like he should be on a beach, you know, just watching the waves and smoking a doobie and listening to some, I don't know, uh, beach music with his car. He just doesn't seem like he should be a captain. You know Absolutely <laughs> not. No, no. He should be like running a shrimp boat, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> he should never leave earth and probably not like a state. Like he should be confined to one state on earth. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he was like related to somebody in the company. Like he was the, you know, that would fit. <laughs> married, married to one of the cousins of the people that ran Wayland, and they're like, "He's he's dumb as a brick." Let's just put him on this. Let's just put I'm him out of here. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, aliens are going to eat him. Oh, even better. I don't want to see him at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Look at that guy. I believe it. I, that's my head cannon now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one day he'll get his own spin-off novel, and we can really explore his backstory. Now you, that I'd be interested. You could write that one. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's at he's at he's at Margaritaville, just like <laughs> just like six bottomless mimosas later. They're like, "Hey, you want to captain this thing?" Right. <laughs> We've already written like half the book. <laughs> It'll be a picture book. <laughs> yes, it needs to be. <laughs> and then he and then he became captain of the Stromo, and everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> Failing up. Yeah. There's one more thing I wanted to kind of touch on before we dig into the monster specifically here, but um, there was a, so one of the definitive books on alien is, is uh, David McEntee's beautiful monsters. Have you read that Pip? No, I have not. Oh, it's one I found a bunch of stuff from beautiful monsters, the unofficial and unauthorized guide to the alien and predator movies. So it's one of the ones where I've gotten a bunch of information from much of it's just relayed on Wikipedia also. So you can find it there. But uh, he wrote in his book, he said, quote, the alien is the quote best Lovecraftian movie ever made without being a Lovecraft adaptation due to its similarities in tone to Lovecraft's work. Then I also got another quote from O'Bannon where he said the film was strongly influenced tone wise by Lovecraft. And then Geiger said that uh, he was drawn to the initial storyline, quote, because I found it was in the vein of Lovecraft, one of my greatest sources of inspiration. What do you, uh, I don't know, Khalid, if you're, you're as well versed in Lovecraft, but maybe you might be Pip. Do, uh, do you find this to be a Lovecrafty type movie? You know, if you just looked at this, the first movie by itself, 
Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely, because you don't really know that much about the creature. It is primordial. Yeah. Um, the, the When they go into the ship for the longest time, that body that you see in the big mm-hmm. chair was called the space jockey. Space jockey, yep. Yeah, and uh, it only later on became known as the engineer, um, and part of and part of the mythos was built out. So, in the if you just took the first movie, yes, definitely, because you're aware there's some larger conflict or mythology or something going on there, but you're not quite sure what it is. It was almost beyond sort of at least the people on the Nostromo having any comprehension of it. Um, yeah. And just yeah, the 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 way the monster is definitely is mysterious as well. I had to have a long conversation with Clara about whether the monst the the xenomorph has eyes. Hmm. Ooh. Are there eyes? Some people. It's, it turns out there's a bit of a suggestion that there are some eyes behind a sort of uh, the dome. And okay. the other idea is that they have some sort of other extra sensory uh, devices for finding and locating prey. What, so, what's your headcanon? Um, mine is that they have uh, like sonar or and really good smell and can detect pheromones. That sort of or heat signatures. Um, okay. That sort of thing. I'm gonna go with that too. Yeah, that, that makes a lot like of that, sense yeah. for because like it's it's. It primarily is attacking them through the vents for the first like chunk yeah. of it, and mm. I feel like they all had flashlights and stuff like that. So I feel like it's probably in that realm of like it can see better in the dark because it's not seeing mm-hmm. per se. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it, I feel like there's moments too where like like at the end when the on the escape shuttle where Ripley was being really still and it didn't quite it wasn't clear if it was really seeing her or not. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I like that. I like that theory, but yeah, because she's just like they're just in that shuttle. Like, yeah, that is a tiny space. She's backs away slowly. Right. Yeah, like it's yes. literally like as far away as you are from me. Yeah. So like, yeah. if it, it, it'd be really like just inconsistent of it if it could mm. just if it had eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like put that. a couple yeah, of, put that. a couple of googly eyes on the outside. It really takes away from the from the whole appearance yeah. of the monster. You know, like or maybe it could be a nice. <laughs> I thought he was taking like a little nap. You know, you get tired chasing he seemed like people it. around. Yeah, up. What the hell was that? He's just really like he's just tucking in for the ride. Yeah, he's like, hey. yeah. No, I, I agree with you. That one ship sucked. Glad we got on this one. <laughs> 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 well, that, 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 that is another sort of mysterious thing about the alien. How intelligent is it? I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it seems quite intelligent. Uh, other times. Other times, not so much. Yeah, the drones yeah. of them and, and different, like, subspecies of them. Yeah, it's different. Like, I think I agree with your your take on, like, this movie in a vacuum is Lovecraftian in that sense because it's so unknown. But as the movies have progressed and we've gotten mm-hmm. more backstory and more lore and mythology, I feel like that comparison is less apt. I think it's good at one thing, hunting. And yeah. it's, like, really, really good at it. It's like that... Uh, and breeding. It's like that one dude who tried to run for president, but, like, he was a heart surgeon and, like... Everybody was like, well, yeah, he's a heart surgeon. He should be president. You know? <laughs> ben something? Oh, Ben Carson. Ben Carson. Aliens are like Ben Carson. Because <laughs> his whole thing was like, yeah, you're because you, like as good as it is at hunting, you go, oh, yeah, it's probably like a hyper-intelligent species or whatever, but then it doesn't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. In the same way that like we really just took it for granted that Ben Carson was a heart surgeon. And then he started talking. 
about anything other than heart surgery. And, and we were like, like oh, oh no. I know more than this guy. <laughs> I am absolutely going to have to listen in on your take on the next movie because. I'm very excited for it too, honestly. Is Ben Carson in it? No. <laughs> Aliens or Ben Carson is a take. I, I, would actually, I mean, Alien is one of my top movies, but Aliens is my top movie. Like, I think that's I what, that's kind of the recurring thing I've been hearing. Like, yeah. it's rare that I've heard someone say that Alien is like the end all be all. It's always been Aliens, which again, like, you got to give credit to the first for mm-hmm. that. Mm. But that that gets me excited. Anytime like uh, a sequel sticks the landing, I'm so curious to see how. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited yeah. to get into it. We should dig into the monster stuff here. I got a lot of interesting facts about it. So we're you guys ready to monster it up? Let's monster! Yes. All right. So, like I mentioned before, a lot of the information I got for the monster, like details, the xenomorph details, comes from that David McEntee book, as well as uh, there's a documentary called The Beast Within, The Making of Alien, that has a lot. And much Mm -hmm. of that is just relayed through Wikipedia. So, usually when I do research, I go to Wikipedia and, like, takes me places, but most of that was referencing the book and the documentary, so I looked into those, too. But um, I was thinking that for this case, like, normally when we do do dig into monsters, we just kind of dig into the monster as a whole. I was thinking of breaking it down into the four elements of its life cycle that we see and kind of just mm-hmm. doing a little bit about each each life cycle. So we got the um, the egg to face hugger to chest, bur- chest burster to full grown xenomorph. Um, I will say as an aside, there was a cut scene that is in some director's cuts editions of this where Ripley would have encountered Dallas and Harry Dean Stanton's character. Brett. I have seen that. Um, yes. Yeah. You probably see it's in the deleted scenes where they're cocooned at the end. And the idea that one was slowly turning into an egg to birth a face hugger that would then impregnate the other. So that there's like called, elements. That is called egg morphing. I learned egg that. Morphing. Like the... Yes. Well, damn. Egg... There you go. Cause, cause what happens if you only have one of these aliens? How are yeah. they, who, how are they going to lay eggs? I thought something. that was a really interesting element of the like reproductive system of them to like, like it's, I, I guess I can see why it was cut if it's at the end and maybe like decrease like momentum at the time. But I kind of think that was a, like, we have, we have cocoons later on. So like it's canon that they do that. Mm. So I think that would have been an interesting one to keep in, but uh, that's just an aside of like what they do. So I'm going to start with the egg that we see like on um, LV426, which, uh, by, the, by the way, happy almost happy almost Alien Day. We're like right after the Alien Day, by the way. <laughs> yeah. so April 26th. So just that's it. But the egg itself. So behind the scenes, it was a uh, it was made of fiberglass so that actor John Hurt could like shine his light on it and see the movement inside, which was actually the movement was Ridley Scott in there fluttering his hands while in the egg while wearing rubber gloves. The top <laughs> of the egg itself was like a hydraulic and the innards were cow's stomach and tripe which I didn't know what tripe is. I learned is a type of edible lining from the stomachs of some farm. Yeah. Tasty. Gross. I'm sure that smelled really good. Mm, Yeah. But the egg, like they did, it was great. It looks very organic. It looks very like creepy. And they've kind of kept that throughout the series that like kind of practical effect of the egg. But I mean, there's not too much to say about that. other than that's just like, course every movie has to have somebody just looking over the top of the egg right yeah, yeah, yeah. well i love that, i love yeah. the stickiness of the egg it's got like this oh yeah kind all of the goo right goosey sticky yeah, yeah. That, that that adds to it yeah what do you think it would have tasted like if you just like scrambled it like mm. you, you know what i mean Good question. Good spicy because it's probably got acid for blood so you know great point you don't yeah. need hot sauce <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Uh, then, then after the egg, we got the face hugger, of course. So the face hugger for behind the scenes, mostly made of sheep's intestines. 
they shot the face hugger out of the egg using a high pressure air hoses. So for the scene in which they like examine like the dead face hugger, Ridley Scott uses pieces of fish and shellfish to kind of create the viscera. Um, this, this creature, this like element of the alien was actually the first design that Geiger made for the movie. But, uh, the final version that we end up seeing was based on kind of based on that initial design, but modified by Dan O'Bannon and, uh, designer Ron Cobb, who is actually the one who came up with the idea for the acid blood as sort of like an added element as to why you can't just like shoot it, you know? So that was a a, kind of a clever bit that I thought, but yeah, the face hugger, um, yeah, very, very cool, like effect, practical effects there, I thought. And I, I think it's just such an iconic, like, vision, that thing with, like, its legs and how, like, like Khalid, you mentioned early on, like, you can't cut it off because one added acid and two, it just wraps further around the neck. Yeah. Like, oh, it's the what, great we, we see that tight when, when they first get yeah. uh, That's so uh, cool. and the, the helmet off and you see the the tail tightening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ugh. It, it, for me, it's just like, it's just, that's a wrap. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you go and eat dinner with that, with Henry Dean Staten after that. Like, that to me is insanity. <laughs> like, after you saw all of that, that was after they saw that thing bleed acid through how many mm-hmm. floors of their ship? Like, for me, it's just like, oh, you thought it was just like done after that? <laughs> you, you're just, yeah. you're just, you're, you're, you're satisfied with that? Like, for Ripley to not like be like that's quarantine him now, please God, that is insanity. I think so. actually, um, uh, Parker actually says, "Why don't we just freeze him?" Yeah, and nobody, yeah, nobody, right. nobody answers. They just, I don't know. Shut just up, Parker. <laughs> Why don't you guys Back just in freeze the belly him? of the ship? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, it was a very insane move uh, uh, on their part. But yeah, speaking to the design and stuff like that, I think the face hugger is probably my favorite mm. uh, of the stage of the stages. I think it's it's definitely one of the definitely one of the most interesting. I. I feel like okay. This is kind of a story. This is this could make me sound cool or like like a bad parent. I don't know, but uh, my daughter, who's four, who's like almost five now. Like I feel like this was a couple of years ago, like when she was like three. We we're just playing around, like tickling and stuff, and I just like like put my face and I was like face hugger, like on her face. Like I don't know why I was like face hugger, like oh. alien. <laughs> One just random aside thing, and now she does it still. Well, she'll just like go up to me or her little baby brother and just be like face hugger with her like hand on her hand on her face. So, like it's a thing in our house. Uh, well, I don't. I don't think CPS is going to get called. But... Yeah, hopefully. she hasn't seen Alien. She hasn't seen it yet. Yet. Well, yeah, when she sees it, she'll, her, re- she'll really understand. She'll be like, "Oh, yeah. the face hugger, cute." That's what she'll say. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a little, uh, a little plushy face hugger. I love that. We should get one. I should get one and throw this. This is a face hugger. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's got she like a little have smi- a... smiling face <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a real rude awakening when she does finally figure all this out. Like, like oh yeah, this wasn't for kids. Someday as an adult, she's like, you did that to me when I was three? <laughs> yeah, did John Hurt die for nothing, Joe? Did you learn nothing? <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm with you. I think uh, I think Facehugger's pretty great. Um, I, that does oh, wait, bring so- us next. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just, just going to say, if you've ever played um, Alien Fireteam Elite, they have a bit where fa- like little facehuggers start crawling towards you. And I don't care if you've been blasting aliens all day long. <laughs> Something about the fact those those when it starts crawling towards you with this little tail, you just start screaming and shooting it like ah. You know, it, I think it, I remember that actually. 
like yeah. that game. Like now I'm thinking about it. Like I remember playing alien games as a kid, but I never remember what names they were. And I remember the sequence you're describing, like shooting the facehuggers. I mean, that was it. Yeah. They, they really, the scuttling and the rapping and the impregnating. That's quite a trio. Of, impregnating. That's a big one. It's, yeah. it's a big one. The yeah. way John Hurt's like belly just keeps going up and down when he's in that like MRI machine or whatever. And like, oh, yeah. it's, he's just, he's literally being kept alive by the thing. It's, it was, it was upsetting. <laughs> Impressive role for John Hurt too. Like he did, mm-hmm. he did, yeah. That does bring us to the chestburster, the next phase, I'd say. So uh, the chestburster, the little baby, cute little baby alien. Mm-hmm. Design of the chestburster was in, was this is interesting. Inspired by Francis Bacon's 1944 painting, three studies for figures at the base of a crucifixion. So that's really that. Geiger's original design looked kind of like a plucked chicken. And they ultimately revised it, so they didn't. They didn't I think take I've his. Seen that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a goofy one. Um, but I think Pip, you kind of mentioned this a little bit too. But the chestburster scene itself was shot uh, in one take to kind of like capitalize on that like chaos of it all. Um, mm. Use an artificial torso filled with like blood and viscera. So when John Hurt's head and arms were coming up from underneath the table, but the chestburster was like shoved up through the torso by like a puppeteer who held it on a stick, and the cast didn't know that the blood and everything was going to come out. They didn't know like blood was going to be spurting off at them. And so like some of the reactions um, oh. were genuine because they had a general idea of what to expect, but they didn't really know what it was oh, going to be. Expected. When that blood hit Veronica Cartwright's face and she lets mm-hmm. out a scream, that's a genuine scream. It's completely real. <laughs> completely real. Um, it was not acting. Khalid, your favorite part here, the creature then runs off camera in effect accomplished by cutting a slit in the table for the puppeteer stick to just go through and they pass an air hose through the puppet's tail to make it whip about. <laughs> I, have to, so awesome. I have to say when they do that, when he does that, I'm almost always going, Wee! <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, I just want them to give it like a little voice or something, you know, like, like just like Joe Pesci, but like his like, voice is like, I, I, guess, you think of this? <laughs> I guess the Utes would say, I'm yeeting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen the Spaceballs version? Uh, I've no. seen parts of Spaceballs. There's like a Spaceballs. There's like a there's a parody sequence of this scene where that's I think I feel like they make the alien like dance or something afterwards. It's ridiculous, but kind of funny. I yeah. always just remember when they say they're combing through the desert and but, then they yeah. have the Afro pick. Oh, Mel Brooks. We were that's we, Tim Russ. Is it Tim Russ? That's Tim Russ. We ain't found shit. Oh, right, right. But Mel Brooks made oh, yeah, Spaceballs. Yeah. That scene, I mean. Yeah, yeah so scene. like he, I, just an aside, he does black jokes <laughs> really well. You know what I mean? Like, there, it's just, sometimes he'll do, like, with Blazing Saddles is obviously the best example of it. But like, when he does a black joke, like, it's very informed. And like, you just it, know. Just, just as an aside, uh, I think she was 17 at the time. Our 17-year-old daughter watched that. And she turned when some of the jokes started flying. And she was like. <laughs> Why are they saying um, these things? It was yes, it was quite a shock for her. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. I love that. Uh, all right, so all the right. final phase. The final phase: the xenomorph, mm. the alien itself, the big queen. Um, the big queen. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay, so here I got a lot on this one. This one's probably the most detailed. Um, So H.R. Geiger made several uh, conceptual paintings of the adult alien before settling on the final version. He sculpted the creature's body using plasticine, uh, incorporating pieces such as like vertebrae from snakes and cooling tubes 
He had a cooling tubes from a Rolls Royce, actually. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Geiger and his tubes is all about that. The creature's head was manufactured separately um, by uh, a designer called Carlo Rambaldi, who people may have heard of. He did the designs for uh, the aliens for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Kind of a fun thing here. But ultimately, like, to bring the alien to life, they created, like, a system of hinges and cables to operate the creature's, like, rigid tongue the protruding mouth and the second mouth and all that. The final head had like 900 moving parts uh, and points of articulation. And um, the actual original jaw that this guy Rimbaldi designed is on display at the Smithsonian Institution. So we can go see it there. Wow. Yeah. Road trip. In fact, yeah. Um, (laughs) Actually, I'm I'm just outside DC. I feel like I should go tomorrow. There you go. (laughs) Nothing to do. Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, nice Monday morning <laughs> stroll to the Smithsonian. Show yeah. me through show me your alien tongues. <laughs> that's what I want. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um I, we have to mention so the the um mostly the alien was portrayed by a few people, but mostly was an actor, uh Bolaji Badejo. Uh he made a there's a latex costume that was made to fit his body. He was a tall, skinny guy, six foot ten inches. Um and the so Scott didn't want really Scott didn't really want the alien to have that guy in a suit vibe, even though we just talked about how much we love that vibe. Um, but I think he was trying to do like lots of different kinds of camera tricks and angles and like ways of shooting the alien. So it never comes off like you're just seeing like somebody stand up in a suit. So it feels really like animalistic and scary. And I do. And I think that's like a credit to like Khalid, what you were saying about an actor portraying that role. Like somebody can kind of really get into that mindset and kind of like display that with like body movements that maybe might be harder or it might be a little more impersonal of doing it through a computer. Well, as much as I love all of the other phases, the movie lives and dies on the how effectively scary the alien is, the yeah. xenomorph is in its final form. And they knocked it out of the park. Honestly, it's the second mouth for me. It's so inspired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a it's such a like great additional detail of like this feels like a real creature in that like it is such an apex predator that even its mouth has a second predator in it. And that is so... Its mouth has a mouth. It, its mouth has a mouth. Like, just saying that. Like, I don't... I can't think of that many creatures since then or before then that, like, are that, like, layered in their, like, the lore of, of its makeup, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's so cool. Like, like obviously, Alien versus Predator, like, that was the mashup, you know? Like, those two creatures where it's, like... That's the only thing I can think of that comes close in terms of like literally everything about the way it's like designed and stuff like that. It's like the only reason the Xenomorph beats it out is because it is just naturally that that strong and that meant to kill versus like the the predator was always like thought of as like it's just like the peak hunter. Everything about it like they've modified to become a peak hunter and the Xenomorph just didn't need it. It's just God's it just perfect is. little, yeah, like mercenary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the little details, like when you, when it's when it sort of draws back its uh, outer mouth, and it has like lips, and then there's like mm. sort of shiny drool kind of coming between the jaws, and then the it kind of the the tongue mouth, the inner mouth. <laughs> I, I I can't remember how I because I had to ask what is that called. The bit that comes out and bangs you in the head and kills you. What's that called? <laughs> um, it's just, you know, it, and it's also got that animalistic kind of like you could imagine if, a, if you saw a tiger in the wild back in the day, you would might see it looking at you, locking, well, no eyes. I think maybe even the fact it has no eyes makes it more 
frightening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally it's sort of does. this void, like this, just this merciless void. And it, and, and you see it when, uh, oh, that scene where the chains are clinking and then, mm. um, Jonesy's kind of hissing. And then, um, is it Brett? looking up yeah, and he's like, looking for him, yeah. and then there's the and then it just is there and it and you can see it's a bit like a snake it's kind of got him dead to rights and he is there's no way he's he's moving he's just mesmerized by this thing i mean it's 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 iconic and and classic and terrifying and mesmerizing but it's also really sinuous as well when you like when at the end when it gets out to confront ripley that last time it's how that is a six oh, yeah. foot man in a suit, it kind of unwinds itself uh, a bit like a snake. So it's got a lot of different things that I think hit a lot of different sort of primitive fear buttons inside a human brain. And there's something so cool about like the tongue really does feel, or the second mouth, I guess, really does feel like the what happened was that the chestburster version of it like essentially grew that body around itself Mm. and like maybe that's just like the original part of it and it's almost like it's running the rest of the xenomorph body like a like a mech suit oh like in like uh independence day yeah something (laughs) like that i I feel like the the second mouth is definitely how it punches its way out Mm. yeah inside a person oh yeah 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 and and it had wonderful sound design around it just I'm not sure. Did they have anything? Do you have any knowledge of the sounds? Because I, I, I feel like there's I a do, lot actually. going on. I wrote that down. Yep. You should see the smirk on his face oh, right now. I know. Like, yeah, I got that. I got you that. You teed him right up, Pip. Uh, <laughs> the, so it was actually a guy did the sound. Like it was a vocal vocalizations. Um, Percy Edwards, a voice artist famous for providing bird sounds for British television throughout the 1960s sure. and 70s, as well as whale sounds. That was oh. what he's famous for. Did the alien? Oh he was my god! Famous gosh. for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Percy Edwards right there. That's so <laughs> weird. Because I went to school in the seventies, and one of the things that we did in the seventies was lie on the ground during our music and listen to whale songs. So I may have been listening to Percy. You may have listened to him. There you go. Yeah, that's why it's so resonant no- with you. Yeah. Little, little knowing that later he would be terrifying me with uh, the sort of. The snarls and growls and snaps and all sorts of things that the the alien has. So is that a, is that story specific to you or New Zealand? Like hanging out, laying. I think it's I think it's probably a product of the seventies where my music teacher was just really high. And got uh, it. I was going to say that story sounded like someone was high in it. I didn't want to assume. <laughs> well, well, I was probably in elementary school, so hopefully it wasn't me. Hey, I, whatever you guys do in New Zealand is your business. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember whale music very fondly. <laughs> they made us do uh, they, they made us do calisthenics to Michael Jackson songs. That was my oh, okay. experience as a kid. Yeah. Just a mm. bunch of little kids doing like bicycle kicks to beat it. That's pretty, that sounds pretty fun too. Yeah, it was pretty great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, any any other any other tidbits? Any other tidbits about the alien? Um, I 
did find I did read that the, as you might assume there are copious amounts of KY jelly where you was used yeah for that the saliva the and the gooey gooeyness yeah. yeah um other than that the only other thing I kind of pulled to kind of specifically talk about this was the quote from uh Ash where he when he calls the alien mm-hmm. the perfect organism which is kind of like a phrase that's kind of gone throughout the franchise and it's like stood out but he says um, quote, its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. I admire its purity, its sense of survival, unclouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. Mm. So I just think that's a nice thing to pull out. It's a nice roundup. Yeah. A nice roundup. Oh, the tail. The, the tail also yeah. has a barb on it, right? Oh, the tail, the tail yeah. is also dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Everything's dangerous. Because that's what he gets Lambert with, right? Yep. That's yeah. That's right. Oh, yes. Yes. Because yeah, she's yeah. got. Wait till you see aliens. You'll see more, far more alien tales that are oh, just yeah. as dangerous. Yes, we'll dig into the tale pretty hard there. I'm so excited for that. I can't believe I said that. I'm excited for you. I wish yeah, I could yeah. watch it again for the first time. It was, you know, oh, I'm a big I, I, James Cameron guy, so this is this is uh, this is a big blind spot for me. I think it's yeah. I think it's one of well, it's my favorite movie. I, I I was thinking about it when I was writing the book. Like, is Aliens my favorite movie of all time? I was like, mm, I think so. I think so. And Might just be. That that was only more inspirational for writing the writing the book and going, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is so fantastic. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's it's gonna be fun. I think I'm enjoying I'm like thinking about aliens too. I'm really excited for you to watch it, Khalid. Woo! It's, it's a blast. I can't wait for Jimmy C to blow my mind again for uh... like the <laughs> Tenth time, <laughs> always, always it never fails, right? Now, yeah. I have a, I have a question. You guys, are you going to be watching the theatrical cut, or are you going to be watching the director's cut? I think we, we'll, I think we'll do directors. I'm you taking should, Joe's I, lead on this. I would take yeah. director's cut as well. Alien. I usually default to director's cuts. Usually. Yeah. I mean, Alien direct the the director's cut of Alien was okay. I don't think it really added a huge amount extra to it. That's true. We didn't do it for this one, yeah. But I think the uh, director's cut of Aliens adds a lot more character beats and mm. just some, yeah. some some cool little bits that um, are worth having in there. Agreed. And for three, I think we're going to stick with the assembly cut of that one. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. yeah. 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 Joe's already told me about the drama in that. No, there's, oh I'm, my gosh, I yes. love that there's I love yeah. that there's so much like in front of camera and behind the camera drama with the franchise that's going to make this like more fun to talk about than like oh, yeah, just like yeah. the one offs that we usually do. Yeah, there's a lot lot to pull from. Yeah. Alien yeah. Aliens has a lot of American uh, filmmaking butting up against British uh, film mm. workers going on. Um, <laughs> you know, cups of tea may have been involved. Um, it's the it's the Revolutionary War uh, the yes, sequel. It is, yeah. it is. <laughs> and and like it, and, and like the Revolutionary War, something beautiful came out of it. Uh, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people that might push back on that one. <laughs> <laughs> the Alien franchise might have squeaked away with that, though. Yeah, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it, and I'll be listening to that podcast to see to Yay. vicariously um, see the movie for the first time with you. I will try yes. to be as illustrative as possible in that case. Well, you <laughs> I was I was going to phone it in, but now that Pip's listening, yeah, I mean, just remember that. Remember now. that. Yeah. 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 If, I, if I don't oh. hear that you're blown away, I'm going to come on here. 
<laughs> well, you know, I was like doing laundry while I was watching it. It was okay. <laughs> I I have to say our uh, our daughter, uh, we watched uh, Aliens and Alien with her and uh, she, at at one point near the end of Aliens, um, grabbed hold of my hand so hard that she left fingernail prints in my hand. (laughs) She was like, what's happening? And I think my my husband leaned across to her and said, it's not over yet. <laughs> so wow. me know, you, you'll know the moment when it hits. Yes. All right. I'm going to have to just hang on to my cat for that one. Unfortunately, yes. Joe, Joe's arm will not be with me. I will reach. not be with you. No. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I suppose like wrapping up kind of our conversation on this one, I, there's, I feel like there's just so much you can dig into this movie that we can't just cover in one podcast. Like, mm. I think it's notable to say like just the miniature work of the spaceships is really cool. And it's yeah. really impressive. Like the camera tricks that they did. Like I mentioned while we were watching Khalid that when they were on the ship with the space jockey or the engineer, like some of the spacesuits were like Ridley Scott's kids. It's just to, to make the sense of scale. And Dan O'Bannon. And Dan O'Bannon's kid. Like, we're just, like, walking around in space suits to be like, this is so how big it is, right? Once you pointed yeah. it out, I could tell. You could tell, like, little kids like, walking. Yeah, like, it's very yeah. much a, a kid gate. Yeah, it's, it's very fun. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's just a fun thing to mention. Like, all the stuff with, like, Ash and the VFX work. Like, it's fun to see, like, when it's, like, the modeled Ian Holm head and then it suddenly turns into the real head popping through yeah. the, the table. Like that special effects is super fun. I loved seeing the inside of the aliens. I was like, they look yes. like they, you could just pop them, like, you know, like uh, bubble wrap. I just feel like I want to get <laughs> yeah. my hand in there and start popping whatever those things are. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> They're just goopy and goofy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I suppose, yeah, we should uh, we should probably wrap it up for this one. Um, um, and just a quick note for uh, Friend and Steen's Steins. Yeah. Um, uh, we will be holding off on doing fighter flirt for Xenomania until the end, just because I we'd be saying the same thing over however, and over, over and well, over. More, they might change movie to movie, but we want to just do like a super uh, f- uh, fighter flirt at the end of the series to kind of like cap it off. Yeah, so that's why you won't be hearing that in the Xenomania episodes so far. Yeah, you'll get there. It's and. To Pip, that's a, that's a special segment we do in our, our episodes usually where Khalid talks about fighting or flirting the monster. So listen, yeah. listen in for that. His take on that. Yeah. Uh, according, to yeah. That. yeah. A- according to Joe, it's one of my little bits. And one of your little bits. Yeah. yeah. We, we I, have a lot of little bits. I don't agree with that description of it, <laughs> but it, uh, it does explain it pretty well. It sticks. Yeah. It sticks. Now, <laughs> I, I look forward to hearing about the uh, role flute playing uh brings yes. to that particular oh yeah you better believe that's gonna heavily affect my decision <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we do have one final segment in the show that is not necessarily related to the movie that we'll move into i think pip i probably forgot to tell you about this one because i always forget to tell the guest about this one but it's pretty low-key and i'll let you go last um our final segment that we go into is our <clears throat> what the fandom segment in which we all just share one or two things that we're like watching, listening to, reading that uh, we're kind of digging right now that we think our audience might be interested in hearing about. Doesn't have to have anything to do with monsters, horror, genre, or what we're talking about. So again, Pip, I'll let you go last. Uh, Khalid, start us off. What's the fandom with you? Thanks for asking, Joe. Um, my what the fandoms this week, I will have multiple. I'm bringing that back. Ah. Joe, you're going to look me in the eye and tell me I can't. Yeah, you're not. Well, I'm looking you in the eye. <laughs> yeah. 
but that's it. That's all you're doing. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, my what the fandoms this week. The first one is going to be the Peacock television series, Mrs. Davis. Um, I've only seen the first two episodes as of this recording, but it is a new Damon Lindelof. And I should have looked up who the other showrunner is. Her name is Tara something. But um, they have a new show on Peacock, and essentially it's about a world where um, there's essentially like a new god that is an an AI system, essentially, and uh, everybody just gets their uh, commands from that god via uh, headsets if they so choose to. And it's essentially like reshape the world because because it's so popular and because it's like such a revolutionary thing except that there are a few people out there that uh are very suspect of the ai's motives and whether it's actually god and what whether what it's asking of people to do is maybe more sinister than they're letting on and so we follow betty gilpin's character who is a nun who is one of the people that is suspect of of mrs davis and she uh, gets put on a quest to get the Holy Grail because of Mrs. Davis. And uh, it's it seems really exciting and zany and madcap. And so far in just the first two episodes, there have been just like a cast of crazy characters. It really evokes uh, Barry. But if you've seen uh, Lindloff's other uh, big show about religion, The Leftovers, then you know that this is a very thoughtful showrunner. Um, and he is very very interested in um the the implications of big ideas he also did that with the watchman sequel for hbo that mini series that he did so i'm very very curious to see where it goes i think the first two episodes definitely deliver on um the the potential of a story that i just pitched and i know that he's gonna stick the landing whatever the landing looks like for a show like this i totally it is so different and like a lot more comedically reliant than his other work has been. And so I'm curious and excited to keep going with it. So that's my first recommendation. And then my second recommendation I came up with uh, through discussing this podcast, actually Um, it's history of the world part two that uh, premiered on Hulu. And uh, yeah, we were just gushing over Mel Brooks and I I remembered that and I was like, Oh yeah, it, it, it fell right around the time when we weren't recording. So it never made it into its own process with the fandom so i want to do it justice now if you've seen history of the world part one um then you are so going to be satisfied by part two the series does such a great job of uh building on what those ideas that were introduced in the first movie did and it really does a good job of like bringing it up to modern sensibilities without necessarily compromising on what made the first movie so great. So it's a series now and uh, it's star studded and they just have so many great references. I think my favorite was um, he basically makes Jesus and the 12 apostles, uh, the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And uh, they really do. They lift a lot from that uh, Peter Jackson documentary, Get Back, that just came out last year. (laughs) And so like, it's just Jesus and them like talking about like biblical stuff. But like, it's almost it's just like a band that's just like (laughs) workshopping bits or like or or songs. And it and it, it, it shouldn't work. And it works so well. And I, I can't speak enough of its praises, like especially this late in uh, Mel Brooks's life when like this very really realistically could be the last thing we get from him. Like it's such a great 
uh, like note to end on for like an already impressive and like story career. So yeah, those are my two recommendations. Um, Joe, what the fandom with you? Thanks for asking, Khalid. Those are uh, some pretty good recs. Um, I will say the one thing that I'll recommend, I have two as well this week. Um, I am reading a book. I just started it. It's um pretty well-known series from uh, Becky Chambers, the Wayfarer series. If I don't, listeners may have heard of it, but I'm reading the first one in that series called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And I'm only I'm only in the beginning where we're just getting to know some of the characters, but I already know just from like the first couple of pages how much I love this. Like I'm all about space opera. I love weird aliens and weird cultures and races that are just like introduced in like a space opera setting. And it's just delivering on that already. And so I'm digging it. It's got this. It does kind of actually have the blue collar like crew vibe, which is kind of fun, like just working class people on a ship, like doing runs and doing um, business deals and stuff like just kind of making their way through the through the universe and it's um the plot of it hasn't kicked in gear fully yet but i'm i'm just giving this like getting these really like fun like cozy vibes from it where it's like i'm just reading it i'm like ah, i really i'm just really loving this This is just nice i'm just having a nice time with it so uh if you haven't checked out the wayfair wayfair series from becky chambers i'm really into it and i'm really excited to go further and ideally dig into the sequels which i think there are three or four at this point i'm not sure she's making any more but uh, I'm digging it. It's it's a lot of fun. The other recommendation I would have for uh, for y'all is I'm finally watching the Sandman series on Netflix, which mm. whoop, whoop, took me a little while to get to it. I'm a bit my uh, wife and I, Nicole uh, Weifenstein, uh, friend of the podcast, who's going to be joining us for one of these episodes too. We uh, we're both fans of Neil Gaiman. We're both fans of the Sandman comics. We read them a long time ago, so we're really pumped for the show. But it took us a little bit to finally get get started with just everything that's going on, in life and kids and all that. But um, we're finally in it. We're about four episodes in. And I would say at this point, it's really living up to the hype of what I was hoping a Sandman series would be. And um, it's such a hard universe to adapt. It's such a rich text, like rich source material. And I'm happy with the weight that all these stories are given. And I'm, I, what I heard, like the first season is really only covering, like, I think a little bit of the first uh, like trade paperback that came out of it. And like, I think that's great that they're just spending time and letting it, letting us sit with these like, uh, longer scenes and longer sequences and characters and letting them be more fleshed out. So I think that so far at this point, I would say the Sandman series does the the comics justice. So I'm really happy with it. Um, so yeah, that would be my fandoms for the week. How about you, Pip? What the fandom with you? Well, I'm working on a new writing project. So a lot, of, I mean, a new thing. Um, but I have been watching um, The Power on Amazon Prime. And I know it's based off a book. I haven't read the book. Uh, it's the the conceit is that suddenly women start developing electrical powers. Basically, uh-huh. there's an organ that's sort of around their collarbone. Uh, and it's an interest. I mean, I studied politics, so it's got a lot of political stuff because suddenly women are feeling that they do have more control over their lives and perhaps even some leverage over men. But I also quite enjoying it because it's got uh, a really international... I'm a sucker for anything that's sort of outside the borders yeah. of America. It has American stuff in it, but it also is set in um, the Middle East and Africa and England and sort of places like that. Um, and it's got Tony Collette in it, who I quite like. It's, it's interesting. I'm still waiting to see what the what they're actually trying to say. I can't decide whether, <laughs> whether the... Uh, 
where the showrunners are going exactly on it. It's dropping, I think, every week, so I haven't really caught up with that. Uh, the other thing I've been doing is uh, getting into a new role-playing session. We have a Wednesday night group uh, on Discord uh, doing The Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and for about, I don't know, about six years I was playing a barbarian, which was a lot of fun. But uh, now I've been playing a druid, and I actually hear that apparently druids are not the most popular characters for people to be. And so I decided to give it a go, and uh, I'm quite enjoying it. Uh, I think my, my favorite move last week was I flew up as an owl as we were fighting somebody, turned into a walrus, and landed on their foot. I wow. Quite enjoyed. <laughs> Amazing. It's I play druid, too. Yeah, yeah druids are fun. Wild shape. Oh, good. Yeah. Wild oh, shape for it. everything. Yeah, yes. we're still very low-level characters, but uh, dropping a walrus on somebody is quite effective. That is huge. Yes, literally. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. So that's that's my, that's my geekiness, apart from writing, which is inherently uh, a geeky activity for me. Oh, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a blast. It was a blast to have you and get to know you a little bit on this podcast and like your background with Alien is being able to bring that perspective of somebody who's like worked kind of in the franchise to this conversation was really fun. And um, I just, we just appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us. Agreed. This a- is such a fun talk. Oh yes. We could have, we could be talking for another few hours. I'm sure. Agreed. <laughs> um, do you have like um for anyone listening to find you like social medias you want to plug or anything like that? Um you will find me at pjballantine.com. It should have links to books and news that might be coming sometime soon. Yeah. Um so yeah, that that goes to all my different socials and stuff. So That's I'm awesome. On and we'll link all that stuff. Yeah, we'll link everything in our show notes, your website and all and your social medias and all that. So if anyone wants to find that, you can find that there as well. Um, you mentioned you have a writing project in the works. I'm, just, I'm guessing yes. you can't say anything yet about that, correct? I, I thought I might be able to speak about it, but apparently not right now. But you okay, know, okay, not in a way. Right, we'll, keep we'll them, keep them in suspense. All right, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, in the meantime, check out Alien Inferno's Fall and check out all of Pip's other books. I mentioned briefly in the intro, but you've got a whole bunch of other like fantasy and genre series that. Um, definitely will fill people's time. I have I have never met a speculative <laughs> fiction genre I didn't like. I, I think I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I have no opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Pip, I just want to echo uh, everything Joe said. This was such a great conversation. And honestly, I don't want to brag too much, but kind of a flex on my part. Because like of, of all the things to hold out on watching the Alien franchise for, <laughs> being able to talk to you, it feels like a bit of a flex. Um, (laughs) so, so thank you for giving me that, uh, to brag about. I don't have enough already. Um, (laughs) but yeah, uh, everybody else that was listening, thank you so much. Uh, as we mentioned, this is going to be a part of a series, our first kind of go at something like this. So you'll be learning along with us what works, what doesn't so far, I would say we're knocking it out the park. Um, so stick with us as we continue with this awesome alien franchise and next uh, episode, we'll be talking about aliens in the meantime, if you guys can like, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast and give us a good old rate and review. We need them stars, baby. Give us some stars and until next time, creep it easy. <laughs> <laughs>